it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer Michael Bronner, joining you on this Monday afternoon. Want to thank everyone for tuning in and Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend and is well-rested and recharged as we have a busy week of sports that are going on. And, of course, it was a busy weekend of sporting events. Michael Broderman, how was your weekend, my brother? Oh, my weekend was great. Thank you for asking. How was yours? Man, it was fantastic, just filled with plenty of tennis plenty of golf plenty of basketball plenty of baseball and of course plenty of relaxation as well but Bronner you know when we were going in and speaking with Roger Hoover mm. on Friday we were talking about with him could Bama and would Bama have an opportunity to get out of this super regional and make some history well when we had to wait around on Saturday, everyone was expecting the 11 a.m. first pitch, but unfortunately there was a death by one of ESPN's producers on site that, that delayed that. So our prayers and our thoughts are with the family of the producer who lost his life for the ESPN crew, and it kind of threw things into a delay with Bama and Wake Forest and a little bit of a, a, a controversial loss there on Saturday afternoon as Bama loses to a great Wake Forest team 5-4 to four on some kind of questionable calls, maybe in the strike zone, outside of the strike zone. But interim coach, Coach Jackson's done a phenomenal job keeping this team and holding it in the road for Alabama. But they come up short on Saturday, losing by one run, and then absolutely get blitzed. Yesterday, 22 to 5, nine home runs hit by Wake Forest, and they just absolutely teed off on Bama yesterday. Yeah, so obviously, a little bit of controversy, especially with the uh, check swing, non check swing from, uh, I believe it was Daniel Corona, I think his name is, for Wake. And, you know, of course, after the game, he says, uh, oh, I, I definitely swung on that, and then hits the, the home run that ultimately took the lead on Saturday right after, I believe, on the next pitch, and Wake is ultimately able to win the game. So, I, And the umps weren't weren't uh, weren't good for Wake. It, it, it was a rough rough weekend for the umps overall. It was a questionable strike zone. Uh, but, yeah, Wake left no doubt on Sunday as to who the better team was between the two. I think Alabama really needed to win the first game to even have a shot because, you know, we talked about it a lot. It's like we saw what Wake did. To their opponents in the regional, we knew how many runs they're capable of putting up. We know now, at least, that ballpark is 310 feet down the line. We know it's a big home run ballpark, and Wake certainly proved that with nine of them on Sunday. And, yeah, 
ultimately just too much for Alabama to overcome. It's a nice story. Nice they were able to get to a Super Regional for the first time since 2010, but Wake, like we were worried about, it proved to just be the buzzsaw that we thought they were and, and just a little bit too much for Alabama to overcome. Well, well here's, here's the thing out of that. A lot of questions were going to be raised as to where Jason Jackson was going to have an opportunity to remain Mm. The Alabama removed the interim and go ahead and make them the head coach. And there's been reports today that Alabama has found a new head baseball coach. And it's not that of Jason Jackson, but it looks like Jason Jackson would remain on staff as the Crimson Tide's top assistant. And the new head coaching job would go to Rob Vaughn. And he is currently the Maryland head baseball coach of course Maryland won the Big Ten tournament title this season and I I just think that I really thought that Alabama if it was going to be done on an emotional basis coach Jackson probably would have been the higher and it's good to see that he's still going to remain part of this Crimson Tide staff. Yeah, you would think that he's probably, or I mean, nothing is set in stone as of right now. You would think he would probably be considered for a head coaching job elsewhere. Ultimately, I'm not super surprised that he didn't get the job at Alabama. I, I wouldn't have been against the hire, uh, at least not super against the hire. I, I think a lot of times you brought up the emotions of it. I think you get caught up in that. And ultimately, while Jackson has done a phenomenal job, I, I think that very rarely works out hiring the interim just because they did a great job. And make no mistake, he did do a phenomenal job under really what was impossible circumstances. But I think it's good they're bringing in someone else. You know, Vaughn has quite the resume. Big Ten Coach of the Year the last two seasons. It's led Maryland to three straight postseasons. Maryland was 42-21 and 21 this year. Uh, so, you know, they've uh, they've done it ultimately. Uh, you know, they were smoked by Wake Forest as well in the in the Winston-Salem Regional. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. And there, I'm not going to I'm not going to hold that against Vaughn. Uh, so, yeah, six seasons as Maryland's head coach. He's 183 and 115, including 84 and 54 in conference play. Some impressive numbers there. We'll see what he's able to do at Alabama. I hope they're able to hold on to Coach Jackson. I'm sure Coach Jackson would love to stay at Alabama. I'm sure Alabama would love to keep him. Ultimately, it would just come down to uh, whether he gets a better opportunity elsewhere, which, of, of course, he's deserving of. Uh, you know, he is he did a phenomenal job and, uh, you know, he, he certainly did enough to at least warrant consideration for this head coaching job at Alabama. But, you know, I like I said, it it just doesn't work out that way more times than not. So but what you do see is the same thing kind of with Alabama basketball. You saw Antoine Petway yeah. go through four coaches during his time as an assistant coach mm -hmm. at Alabama before he ultimately moves on and takes the head coaching job at Kennesaw State. Same thing here with Coach Jackson. Coach Jackson loves Alabama. Mm -hmm. He wants to be a part of the program. He inherited a program to where when the gambling scandal broke, no one thought that Alabama would have an opportunity to host a regional. No one thought that Alabama would have an opportunity to make a postseason push in the SEC tournament. And they did all of the above. To me, they achieved probably what they could have and should have achieved prior to Bohannon getting fired at Alabama. This was the type of Crimson Tide team that you wanted to see. I know Roger Hoover talked about 
when something works for a team, the camouflage hats is what you saw Alabama go with. But this Wake Forest team is explosive, and they're continued to be explosive and will continue to be explosive. And we also have plenty of World Series, College World Series action still yet to be played because Wake Forest advances, Florida advances, LSU advances, Virginia, all top seven national seeds. Mm -hmm. And if there's one team that a lot of people did not expect to hear their name called, that's Oral Roberts. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen Oral Roberts make some noise in the NCAA basketball tournament coming out of the Summit League, but now they have defeated Oregon in the Super Regionals, and they're on their way to the College World Series. Yeah, very nice story there for for Oral Roberts. I believe they have to play Wake. I I, I don't have the bracket in front of me. If, if you do, you can tell me if I'm wrong now. Big best opportunity for Arkansas, by the way, as well. But uh, ultimately, they fall short, which is not going to break the hearts of any Tide fans around here. But, yeah, obviously, uh, you get some SEC teams in there. We'll see what Tennessee is able to do tonight. They force a game three against Southern Miss yesterday in the Hattiesburg Super Regional. So they ultimately play a, a decider tonight. I believe there's another decider tonight. I can't yeah, remember you have off Texas the top of my head. and Stanford. Yes, that is correct. Will be the other game to where it's it's a game three and the winner moves on to Omaha. Now what's gonna be awaiting the Southern Miss Tennessee matchup, I think it's the L S U Tigers. So Okay. You, you have an opportunity to whether you're Southern Miss or Tennessee. Of course, they, they Tennessee and LSU familiar with one another. Yeah. That's all SEC. And that's something that where, again, you move on and you have, if Tennessee is able to defeat Southern Miss, I mean, the Golden Eagles, who would have thunk it that they would have pushed a game three? And, and because of all the delays, that's why you're seeing them sit here and play a game three, a deciding game three today and, and it was quick back to back for them on saturday sunday and that's what makes it tough yeah ultimately you know i think a lot of people and i i'm not gonna throw stones at anyone who had hope for for alabama going up against wake forest i just i i don't know man i i, I never really really saw i wanted to think it was possible but Man, just looked at, looking at what they did in their regional, just how many runs they're able to put up. I don't care who you're going up against. When you're putting up 15, 20 runs in, in games against teams that are qualifying for the college baseball postseason, it's like, geez, like, how, do you, how do you hope to keep up with that? And credit to Alabama because they played their tails off in game one, but you had to win game one. Once, once, it got, once you're down one, like, you're not beating that team twice in a row. I mean, and then you give up nine home runs, obviously, yeah, you're going to get embarrassed, and frankly. it's a shorter ballpark or not. Yeah, and no, it, and it is. you can't blame the ballpark on well, game no, two. No, you, you, you can't blame the ballpark on the fact that nine home runs were hit. Now, this is one of the oldest parks, kind of grandfathered in to what the numbers are down the right field line, down the left field line, and just the overall numbers to where when you hit it out. I mean, but, there were a couple that would have been – home runs in any ballpark you uh you, you name and <laughs> some of them were absolutely smoked so Bama yeah did get blitzed i mean and Bama hit some home runs too to their credit it just it just wasn't nearly enough it, it was it was ugly on sunday uh, you know it was it was demoralizing but well, it's what it is it was a nice story on saturday you know losing five to four i, I think if you're bama that first game 
losing five to four. You probably would have rather gone ahead and gotten beaten twelve to five, thirteen to five, <laughs> twenty-two to five, to well. where it's not coming down to where you're worried about a check swing or you're worried about a ball four that wasn't called or or something that landed outside of the strike zone. So you couldn't make any excuses but to tip your cap to Wake Forest and say, you know, it, it's one of those to where a loss is a loss, it's right? Pro probably why Wake poured it on so hard on Sunday. It's like, all right, like, you know, say what you want about Saturday. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and leave no doubt on Sunday. And, you know, it clearly showed who the better team of the two was. Not that we didn't know that going in. We knew Wake was the better team, but it's baseball. You know, you can get hot and win a couple games against anyone. But, yeah, they uh, they flexed their muscles a little bit on Alabama on Sunday. That, that was ugly for sure. And, and that's what you're supposed to do. If you're the overall number one seed, you're supposed to flex your muscles like that. You're supposed to show why you belong. And, and again, anything can happen. That's why you play. And that's why the game was so close on Saturday, five to four. You lose five to four. You, you, you're trying to show you belong. But when Wake showed, look, we're the overall number one seed for a reason. As far as you sticking a one in front of us, we're, we're going to prove it. We're going to show you that you had mentioned earlier in the week, last week, Michael, about how Wake Forest had been scoring 13 and 14 and 15 runs throughout the entire NCAA tournament. Yeah, I so think they had 20 new. in one game as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nothing new for Wake Forest to go ahead and handle their business. I Not think to mention they have, like, the best pitcher in the country who went on uh, on Saturday as well. Uh, they, and they have three really good, like, sub-two ERA pitchers. They're just a machine, man. I mean, they're they're – just an unbelievable baseball team. Well, what you you really have to pull for for Southern Miss though, coming out of the Sun Belt Conference. Pulling for Southern Miss means rooting against Tennessee. So yeah, I'll be pulling for Southern Miss tonight. And and, and again, Southern Miss coming out of the Sun Belt Conference, Coastal Carolina made some noise mm. prior to joining the Sun Belt Conference, winning the World Series, College World Series there, and then with Southern Miss coming in, knowing that you're going to get high quality baseball. To, to be at home in Hattiesburg hosting a Super Regional for that program against a team like Tennessee to show you do believe. If Southern Miss is able to come away with this win, a lot of momentum from the Golden Eagles. And, again, you want to pull for the Sunbelt Conference. You don't want to pull against them, whether you're pro-SEC, but the Sunbelt Conference is one of those kind of like Oral Roberts. You, well, you just sure, I'm root for the underdog. I'm pro SEC, but you know that doesn't that doesn't make me pro Tennessee. There, there, there's a di <laughs> there's a difference there. I can I can stomach rooting. I guess you know if LSU were to were to go to Omaha and win, I I could deal with that. Ole Miss winning last year was a nice story. Tennessee, man, I no one like in Tennessee, Alabama football rivalry. Obviously, you know that's the big thing, but. Uh, that Tennessee baseball program, man. They, they, when they were so good last year and, you know, you got guys rounding the bases, flipping the fans off. <laughs> I, I get, I, if you're a Tennessee fan, I, admittedly, like, I'd love it. But, you know, they're they're an easy program to root against. They got the kid Zane Denton from, from Alabama last year uh, who transferred to Tennessee and has actually had a really awesome postseason. He's hitting a lot of home runs. So, yeah, I, I, I am very much rooting against Tennessee. I, I will say that. Uh, proudly. Well, Bama's season does come to a close, and again, having a new 
head coach. Looks like the Crimson Tide coming down. And it looks like, again, Coach Jason Jackson will probably remain on staff, wants to continue to be part of this Crimson Tide sports program. And coming up next on the other side of the break, of course, tonight we have NBA Finals Game 5. Will it be the closeout to the series? We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Of course, Today, we also have Tony Sakalis, John Rachetti, Zach Blackaby, and Brett Deerman, the head football coach at North Alabama. They received some good news on Friday, building a brand new on-campus stadium there in North Alabama. We'll talk to Coach Deerman in the 5.30 hour about that. The final drive will be right back. I'm Laura Rutledge with ESPN. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Keep it right here for the best sports information in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey LeBounty along with my producer Michael Broder joining you on this Monday afternoon and Tennessee and Southern Miss playing in game three and we have Smokey on the line. Smokey, good afternoon and thanks for calling in to the final drive. Hey, man. I appreciate it. Okay, I'm a Tennessee fan, okay? Grew up there. I live here in Mobile. I umpire here in Mobile, but the guy, the guy that was talking about it, he hoped uh, Southern Miss beat Tennessee. I understand all this, but I love the rivalry. And you know what? Southern Miss is a great team, but Tennessee's going to beat their butt. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, Smokey. Stand, bleed that orange, man. I, I'm just, I'm going to pull for the Sun Belt Conference in regards to I playing can, Tennessee. Do you have any uh, predictions on the score tonight? Huh? Uh, I think it's going to be. I don't know who the pitcher is for Southern Miss, but I know Tennessee's pitcher, so it's going to be pretty good in our favor. But what I love about, you know, the living down here in Alabama, you know, Tennessee got their ass, I'm sorry, got their best beat uh, for so many years, and I've loved it so many years, this all this uh, I have to put up with, that Tennessee beat the but last year in football. Yeah, you, you finally got a chance to smoke that cigar, to, to see some smoke, smoke. Yeah, yes, we did. And that's the greatest thing. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. But anyway, thank you for taking my call. Appreciate no, the call, Thanks Smokey. for tuning in and listening to the final drive. We appreciate it, and it's always good to, <laughs> to get the fan bases stirred up a little bit. And, and it should be an exciting game three. It, it's what it's all about. The, the best team will, will advance to play in the College World Series, just like you'll see tonight. And so far, the Denver Nuggets have been the far superior team. I hope Smokey and enjoyed that cigar. It's the last, hey, look, one, last it, one he's getting for 15 more years. It's something that to where here pretty soon, you take away the every year rivalry between Alabama and Tennessee. Yeah, Whoever it might be might be might be thirty years now. A couple of them might be thirty years now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you just don't know how that schedule is going to match up. But uh, yeah, that that cigar, had, like I said, had been in that humidor for a long time, <laughs> and finally got a chance to, to pull that out. But uh, I, I will say, Michael, that Denver, 
they they surprised me the way that they played on Friday, being able to to dominate Miami. Mm. Um, you, you look at as far as tonight being a closeout game in Denver, Miami was able to do something that you didn't think that they would be able to do, which was split in the opening series in the two games at Denver. And then Miami did something you didn't think they were going to do, and that's give two games right back Mm -hmm. to Denver and put it to where Denver can go ahead and clinch this NBA Finals tonight. But the Joker on Friday, 23 points, four assists, and 12 rebounds. I guess the the biggest question is Aaron Gordon comes out of nowhere and has 27 points. This Nuggets team, man, it's been the same thing this entire playoffs. Like, the series against the Lakers, it it really reminded me in the fourth quarter. It's like, all right, the Heat, cut it to eight. You think it's a game for a minute. Oh, three in the corner. All right, Heat, cut it to six. It's a game. Three in the corner. Oh, Indy Jokic, big bugger. It's like they, they are so, so good. At hold not once they get a lead on you, like it's so hard to come back on that team. It's they're so disciplined, they're very well coached. Co- credit to Malone. I mean, it, it, it's really special what this team has done, and uh, I do believe they shut it down and win it tonight. I, I'd be shocked if the Heat win tonight. Absolutely shocked. Uh, I think the Nuggets ha- really really have to win it tonight. You don't want to go back to Miami for Game Six, but uh, obviously, you know that. The Not series is over. A party at South Beach. Series is over in my mind. Like it, even if they do lose tonight, like it's gonna be okay. They got two more tries, but you know you want to win it in at home in Game Five. You have a chance to shut it down. Obviously, you don't want to have to get back on a plane to Miami. You want to keep that, keep that Larry O'Brien Trophy in Denver where it belongs. And uh, yeah, I do believe it's over. I do believe it ends tonight. But man, I mean, what a what a special bunch this Nuggets team is. Well, they've done something that a lot of people when you start looking at world champions and NBA world champions at that, I I don't know if anybody had Denver penciled out when the playoffs began as winning it all. There was no question that they had probably the best basketball player on the planet playing for them. And it was just a matter of who else was, was going to step up. But, Jamal Murray only having 15 points in game four. So to me, coming off of that game three triple-double, he's due for another eruption of 25 or 30 points because the Joker's going to get his. I've said that all series long because anybody, if they do close it out tonight, Michael, the fact that the Joker can lead the NBA in the postseason in points, rebounds, and assists. That's amazing and something that we may never, ever see again in the history of basketball. What more can you say about the guy, man? It's just, it's silly at this point. Butler and Bam. You think it's over tonight? We'll talk about it more later, but. I just think Butler and Bam are going to have to show up. I really did think that Miami was going to show up for game four. I am going to make you make a prediction on tonight later, so we'll we'll get into it later. I'll I'll pass on my prediction for tonight, whether we'll see them pop champagne or not. Tony Sakalas can keep us enlightened on the new Bama baseball coaches. He's been on top of that, and talk a little Alabama football with him as well. Tony Sakalas coming up next here on the final drive. 
Hi, this is Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Always breaking news in the world of collegiate athletics. Tony Sakalis on top of the Alabama Crimson Tide new head baseball coaching story. So he's having to join us at 4 o'clock instead of our scheduled time here of 3.30. So we look forward to speaking with him at 4 o'clock, Bronner. And we mentioned moments ago the fact that Alabama is in line to hire a new head baseball coach and has named a new head baseball coach. Anything about the hire that kind of makes you shake your head or scratch your head at all? No, I mean, I I think this was a name that was thrown out. Um, You know, it wasn't a huge surprise for it to be Vaughn. I I don't know who else was in consideration. I don't know if, and and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's been made official like i don't i don't know if uh yeah, it's official like greg burn and that has an okay well then, then okay well there, there you go then um yeah i i, I don't know who else was interviewed I, i'd be curious to know how much if any um you know jackson was actually considered for the job because you know i i don't know what, what do you think about that do you think that they should have hired him it, it, it's tough man like you get you get caught up in that and, and it can turn into a situation where you hire not that Jackson's not qualified, but like it's a situation where you hire the interim just because he had a good twenty game run. It was twenty games. Well, I, I'll say this, and and we'll save a little bit of it up for Tony Sakalas when he joins us at four. I I think that anytime you're able to retain someone that the players love and that's familiar with the program, it helps with the transition because you can bring in a total new staff, mm-hmm. and when you bring in a total new staff. Sometimes they're not acclimated to and get a, a it takes a year to kind of bridge that gap when you clean house. And it's one thing if they cleaned house and they had not had a lot of success. But these players who are returning next season mm-hmm. genuinely love Coach Jackson and the fact that he's not gonna be the head coach, but is still possibly gonna be on staff. I think that speaks volumes of where Alabama wants its program to continue to go and grow under Coach Jackson because sometimes as an athletic director you say look even though whether Jason Jackson was interviewed for the head coaching position by Greg Byrne which I'm quite sure he was because the interest was there but to still have him as your top assistant is a good deal also and I know the fact that there was some a little football audio that went on that, that you were dealing with your New England Patriots, and I, I thought that with free agency and the fact we were talking about where certain free agents were going to go, there was one free agent who Coach Belichick had a pretty, pretty s- Bill Belichick-type answer with when he was asked about the <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll set it up, but... Uh yeah, obviously DeAndre Hopkins has been in the news a lot since the Cardinals released him. He's believe he's visiting Tennessee right now. It was rumored last week that uh, he was going to be visiting the Patriots this week, and now of course media is asking Belichick about it. And uh, you know he gave just about the most Belichickian answer possible to that question. 
Bill, when you mentioned um, some uncertainty about whether or not Hopkins might visit, is that because? They asked about the date. I wasn't, I'm not sure. Okay. But is the plan for him to, to be here this well, week? We were working through it, so I don't really have anything to add to that. I didn't know if the uncertainty was on his end or on your end, whether or not you wanted to. Mm -hmm. I don't think it relates more to the logistics and things like that. So I'm not really a travel agent here. I'm not going to say it's going to happen here or not going to happen. or well, There's a lot of other stuff going on that I'm not directly involved in, and so I'm not going to say anything. And then, you know, you turn around and say, oh, I misled you in some way because that's not what I'm going to do. Bill Belichick being Bill Belichick. And he's not, not a, a travel, not a travel agent. agent. He said he's a head football coach. And well, and the fact not, that not a travel do, agent. Do you think that he's going to wind up signing with the Patriots? Because I don't know. I really don't. I don't know. Uh, Belichick has had like a crush on Hopkins for a long time. For it's very, for the very weird. I, I don't really know what that relationship is. Hopkins loves Belichick too. Like if you remember that video that came out uh, before the Patriots Cardinals game this past season, like you know they're hugging in pregame. Hopkins like, oh, I love you, coach. I, I don't know what the connection is there, but they they seem to have have always uh, been fans of each other for whatever reason. Uh, I. I don't know. It's it's a good question. I, I think Hopkins is probably a guy who's just going to sign for the most amount of money, and I would think it's probably not going to be the Patriots that offer him the most amount of money. Patriots have a tendency with these kinds of players to probably offer like a heavily incentive-laden contract. Like, you know, if he has a certain number of catches, catches a certain number of touchdowns, maybe if the team makes the playoffs, something like that, probably has to play a certain number of snaps. You know, he gets such and such and such bonus. So, like, if you see Hopkins with the Patriots, it would certainly almost uh, it would almost certainly be signs contract worth up to X amount of money versus signs contract worth X amount of money. That's uh, generally pretty standard protocol as to how the Patriots and a lot of teams really operate. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I think Hopkins would like it in New England. I think Belichick would like to have him. Uh, it makes it a bit of an awkward situation that uh, Devontae Parker and Hopkins kind of do similar things. So pro I would think that Parker would probably be the odd man out if you bring in Hopkins. Uh, you know, for a team whose receiver core is not exactly great, uh, it would be pretty crowded if you do bring in Hopkins. So someone would have to go, whether it be Kendrick Bourne or Devontae Parker or, or someone else, we'd have to uh, see on that. Ultimately, uh, if you told me just yes or no, I would probably guess no, but I, I'm certainly not going to be surprised if it happens. We'll see. DeAndre Hopkins going to the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. I, I think that's a better fit to me. The Tennessee Titans are a better fit it's for not, Hopkins rather than going with the Patriots. It's not really a question of fit for me. I think the fit is there. Uh, I think, you know, is the money going to be right? I, I, him on the Titans. Oh, God. It's gonna be gross. That that team stinks. Tannehill stinks. That that that's where your biggest concern is. I mean, do, Malik Willis really he's gonna have an opportunity as a rookie to show himself along with Will Levis. And I think that he he's gonna find himself before it's all said and done in the starting lineup. But the versatility that you have by having two rookie quarterbacks already on Tennessee's roster and Malik Willis from Liberty and Will Levis from Kentucky. Hopkins, if he wants to not play for a former 
head coach of his, <laughs> I think that that's where you, that's where to me it, it fits a little bit better. And I think that you know free agency has a way that you really want to follow the money, but sometimes do you want to follow the money or do you want to follow the wins? Both franchises are are on on the top of the division. So either way it goes, I think Hopkins can go and produce for either one of these teams. Yeah, uh, I, I I think it's it's probably uh, a matter of money for him at this point. I mean, Houston was thrown out as, as a possibility as well, you know, end his career where he started his career, which I'm sure he'd like to do. Uh, we'll see. I, I, I ultimately don't think Hopkins is going to come in no matter where he does and have this huge season. Uh, you know, I think he's, I wouldn't say quote, I wouldn't say quite washed up, but like I don't think this is a Julio to the Titans situation, but kind of close to it. Like Hopkins is certainly on the the back nine of his career and and can still contribute, but I, I, he certainly is not going to be this great elite wide receiver anymore. But you know he can he can be a piece for sure. I don't know if you saw this or not. One of the places we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the Jacksonville Jaguars having to possibly relocate while they're redoing their stadium, mm. TIAA Stadium. They could possibly play their home games during this time at Daytona International Speedway. Really? Now, we saw a f- college football game a couple of years ago. Tennessee was playing. I forget who Tennessee was playing against. I remember uh, they, they played Virginia play. Tech at Bristol. Bristol. Uh, yeah, yes. that so, they played so against Bristol, Virginia yes, Tech. Virginia Tech. There you go. So, if if you look at being a raceway for a stadium, Daytona International Speedway, you've seen that you can convert these NASCAR tracks into successfully hosting a football game. The Jacksonville Jaguars playing a season at Daytona International Speedway. Wouldn't that be pretty interesting? <laughs> That'd be something. What is that? One hundred and fifty thousand seats or something like that. One hundred and one. One hundred and one. You think they ever fill it up? No, it's <laughs> not a matter of of filling <laughs> it up. I think the only thing that's going to be filled up I don't there. Oh, Trevor gas Lawrence. Tanks on the Tre- Trevor Lawrence is pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, he, he's not exciting enough. I mean, they're nine and eight a year ago. I, I don't think the they're going to be eleven and six this year. One hundred and one thousand fans to watch the Jacksonville Jaguars is overseas. I think they can draw a bigger crowd overseas than they could playing at Daytona International Speedway. But I thought that that was a, a pretty interesting possibility. So where the would the uh, to, to play their home games? Where at. would the Florida Georgia game be played then? You would definitely have to to have the conversion. They possibly thought about going with Camping World Stadium, mm. um, and of course you had the two homes stadiums to host games before when they've had issues so they it's just not did something like that that's unheard of they could do just like two years one at each stadium which is how it should be anyway right but <laughs> can't lose that world's largest outdoor cocktail party that's apparently not a cocktail no, you, party I mean, anymore but but here's if you could if you could imagine your your nfl franchise playing at Daytona. I, I just, like I say, I think they would be better off saying, all right, we just want to have all our schedule home games overseas in London. 
mm-hmm. and and be better off and make more money and have a better draw. Now, it wouldn't get your local fans an opportunity that want to see him because they're not traveling internationally. So they're already playing two international games back-to-back weeks. So that's something that the NFL's already said. Well, Jacksonville, good luck. You're going to be overseas for a couple of weeks. And if you're a season ticket holder, that doesn't mean that that's going to include the price of you going overseas to watch them play two home games. So I I don't know what the benefit there is, uh, but you just have options to where when you're looking at somewhere to have a home, you, you definitely want to have that home field. And I don't know if Daytona International Speedway can provide that home field advantage for them. Because yeah. you're not going to put 101,000 people in the stands. <laughs> yeah, maybe, That's not maybe, gonna happen. maybe 50. Y- you'd be lucky like if it's 50. Yeah. I- if, the, if the Jacksonville Jaguars are winning, you could get that meeting. They'll be, they'll be winning. In the stands. They'll be winning. They're going to be good. Uh, I'm confident in that. But. but you're looking at two years from now. So that that's the thing when this stadium is being built or renovated. It's not this year. I'm, you're talking about a couple of years and three years from now I, to I where a possibility of two years you're you're moving a franchise. Is, is Trevor Lawrence gonna die? I, I mean, I I think he's gonna be around. But the talent be, level around and, and be even better. Hey, they're getting better, man. They're gonna be good. Well, they're gonna be a contender in the AFC for the next them, decade. They only won, what two games? One game. Well, now they have them. So and now they have a head coach who's competent, Doug Peterson. They're gonna be good. They're gonna be around for a Urban long Meyer time. Urban Meyer wasn't competent. <laughs> I am saying Urban Meyer was not competent. I'm, I'd go so far as to say Urban Meyer is the worst head coach in NFL history. Well, well, that's that's a stretch, but I don't, I don't think I, it I don't is. I think a lot of people would. I know a lot of it of Jacksonville Jaguar fans probably wouldn't argue with. I you. don't think you can present a name that has a strong case as the worst coach in NFL history as Urban Meyer. I it really is like the most disastrous. T- there, you know, there's only like four coaches in NFL history to be fired during the middle of their first season. <laughs> uh, like it, it does, it doesn't really happen often. And well, I think Nathaniel Hackett is now one as well, so maybe maybe it's up to five. But it it's not something that happens no, to get I, fired in the, in the middle Urban of Meyer, your first season. Having college football coaches come to the NFL is is and be successful is not common either. And be successful mm. because even Nick Saban with the Dolphins, ask Coach Saban how that went for him. Well, it was okay. Went two and two against Belichick. It's a bit of an overstated narrative there that Saban was. You know, terrible in the NFL. No, he was you, okay. Listen to what I said. Successful. Yeah. Well, a, yeah. Nobody said terrible. Now, come on. Nobody. You didn't hear Charles oh. Barkley. Terrible. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't, you didn't say, say terrible. terrible come but out of my mind. no, I've heard people say it. It is an overstated. There. He was okay. But yeah, no, you're right. There's a big difference. It's hard. <laughs> it's it's it's, it's hard Urban to do. Meyer definitely didn't do Jacksonville any favors. Hey, I'll tell you what. If they had given him Drew Brees like he had wanted. Probably never would have been the head coach at Alabama. Thank, thank goodness, thank goodness that they didn't. Yeah. Because now Alabama has the GOAT and they have two GOATs, Bear Bryant and Saban. And you just you can't argue with the fact that we'll, we'll come up with the list of, of of college coaches who have tried their luck at the NFL and see how that fares, along with the success of Urban Meyer and looking to see who else you can categorize him with in failed opportunities in the NFL making that transition. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner. We'll be right back. My name is David Palmer, and I'm on WNFC 105.5.
Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We are talking about successful college coaches who have made the transition over to the NFL. And, of course, Bobby Ross, coaching at Georgia Tech, makes that transition to the Chargers and finds himself in a Super Bowl. John Robinson, of course, being at Southern Cal, gets a chance to make a little noise with the Los Angeles Rams and one of those names that you really think about. Jimmy Johnson was another one when he defined his time at the U in Miami, and he's very successful with the Dallas Cowboys. Jim Harbaugh's another one, goes from Stanford on over to the 49ers. And Pete Carroll currently, another one coming from Southern Cal, yeah. is with the Seattle Seahawks having success there. So it, it doesn't happen a lot. I think that you, you do have a lot more failures than you do successful ones, but those are a few that really jumped off the page at me for sure. And Michael Broner, I know that we've been following the transfer portal at the University of Alabama, and of course, there's some breaking news that Grant Nelson mm. is six foot eleven forward, averaged eighteen points and almost ten rebounds last season, transferring into the Alabama Crimson Tide. What would that do for Nate Oates having a six foot eleven? big man who can step out and shoot the trifecta yeah really big get for Alabama uh it was almost to the point so uh you know the dream scenario was landing Nelson and uh Arthur Kaluma out of Creighton Kaluma unfortunately committed to Kansas State and Jerome Tang yesterday so it appears that dream of getting both is dead but once Kaluma committed it was like oh boy you know if we don't get Nelson now in, in some trouble uh but and you know Nelson was was taking a minute to commit because everything you know all by all accounts after the Alabama visit you know went phenomenally, and then he went to Arkansas and and uh, there was nothing nothing firm on the report of how that visit went and then it was like two days go by three days go by all right he hasn't committed what's going on what's going on but uh, by all accounts Grant Nelson is going to be playing for Alabama really huge get for for the Crimson Tide gives them. A back or yeah, front court presence that you know obviously well, I, they were I very thin. It, I believe it when he's when he signs that dotted line and has that sky is and actually on campus because I know he's expected to commit sometime this week, but I, I haven't seen where officially he's going ahead and signed on that dotted line. I'll Just, bet you that's why Tony Sakalis couldn't hop on at three thirty. That would be breaking news, Tony Sakalis, if he's able to join us at four o'clock. Breaking that story, we'll have an opportunity to kind of get in his ear and ask him what's the buzz. But if if anytime you can add a six foot eleven to your team, it, it just makes you wonder. Yeah. So many times you see players that aren't at power fives wind up now in power fives after a couple of years of playing in your non-Power 5 schools, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you can find a system that fits for you. That's one of the great things about the transfer portal, that players are now are not having to sit. They're able to leave schools like North Dakota State and then find themselves playing for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, and we'll there's see. nothing wrong with that. We'll see how his play translates. I've seen a lot of mixed opinions on how it will, but you know, for now, 
Uh, it's a position Alabama desperately needed. It's a guy who can knock down shots. So I, you know, very thrilled about that. Now the focus turns. You know, there's a center out of Louisiana and uh, Jordan Brown that is also in play for Alabama. We'll see. Jaron Stevenson's a guy that they're still recruited. They're in, he's a class of 24, but may reclassify. They're in a one-on-one -on -one battle with UNC for him. So we'll see what happens there. But big piece of news for Alabama basketball today. Re very, very, very big piece of news. Well, that's what they're going to need. They're going to continue to need to put the pieces of the puzzle together as, again, Nate Oates trying to retool a roster into where he doesn't have a lot of big men. Betty Ako leaving to go to the league really kind of, I'm not going to say crippled that roster, but it, it definitely made Coach have to go to the portal and, and show these players a lot more love than he would have. And Grant Nelson at six foot eleven, being an all-conference performer will have an opportunity to suit up for the Crimson Tide and scheduled to join us. If he's still not working on that breaking news story that's going on in Tuscaloosa, we'll be Tony Sakalas coming up next here on The Final Drive. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The Final Drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The Final Drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, breaking news stories left and right in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Maryland, former Maryland head coach Rob Vaughn will be becoming the new head baseball coach for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And, of course, that leaves interim Jason Jackson, who was the interim coach, probably still on staff as the top associate head coach along with the pitching coach. It looks like that's going to be where he will wind up finding himself. And, of course, we just mentioned that Alabama has landed Grant Nelson from a basketball transfer portal standpoint, and that's huge news all coming out of Tuscaloosa today. And, again, this weekend, big news or yesterday – Coming out of the Canadian Open, of course, we'll talk with John Rachetti at 4.30 about what's coming up in golf. It's a huge week of golf, as it was this weekend. You had a true Canadian to actually have an opportunity to finally win the Canadian Open. But the 72 First time in like 60 years. Yeah, first time in 50, how many years? I was like, I 60-something. It was like 1950-something yeah, was the last time. You know, people are saying, we'll talk to Ricchetti about this, but people are saying it's the biggest John Ricchetti show of all time. It's the US, it's U.S. Open week, and it's like the third topic. All this live PGA stuff, and then, you know, arguably the greatest non-hockey moment in Canadian sports history yesterday with Nick Taylor's 72-foot putt, and it's U.S. Open week. Whew. A big, big show tonight. Two foot putt, and to me that to me that that right in and of itself 
that's something that you you definitely don't see every day in the golf world. Now, Broner, I know that your your putting game probably hmm. is. I would have been happy to, to be. I would have been happy to three putt. But yes, a seventy-two foot putt. How many opportunities? You said three three putts for you there. I was texting my dad, like as as uh you know, because I I played yesterday and so I wasn't really watching all day. And then uh, as I got home, it was headed to like the third or fourth playoff hole. I believe it was the fourth playoff hole that Taylor won on, and uh, so I I was like, oh well, I'll turn it on. There's this fourth playoff hole, and I just got home from playing, and. Uh, <laughs> So Taylor puts it up there. It's a par five. It's the 18th hole. And uh, Taylor puts it up there in two. And Fleetwood had to lay up because he put it in the bunker off the tee. And it's a 72-foot putt. My dad sends me a text. He goes, you would four-putt from here, <laughs> which is probably accurate, man. It was 72 feet away. You know what the chances are of even a tour pro putting that in? It's like less than 5%. As for like a someone like myself who... So now a sub-20 handicap, by the way, breaking news. Come on, come on. Now Bonner. a sub-20 handicap. I'm a low-90s player. It's coming. But uh, now, now you know, I've I've gotten that handicap below 20, so, you know, scores are going down consistently. But, yeah, no, I, I think I would take I, – I think you could give me 500 tries at that putt and it wouldn't go in. I, I, I don't – I think I could literally get there at 8 a.m., and hit that putt until the sun goes down, and I don't think it would go in. It, it was absolutely ridiculous, man. Yeah, it's, it's one of those that you, you just don't see every day for sure. As far as making that, that's even better. And I know when we do talk with Rashetti, the, the most the, – the fun part about seeing Nick Taylor get excited to win it was the fact that <laughs> – Adam Hadwin absolutely gets clobbered. <laughs> yeah, go look by up that video. A security video if you guard seen while it. trying to spray a little champagne on Nick Taylor after that four-hole playoff. And Bronner, the security didn't know. You know, there's no way you don't expect golfers to walk around with ID badges. Admittedly, or, like he was in jeans, like you know, fair play, but. Yeah, that security guard really thought it was <laughs> it was the moment of his life. He, yeah, he absolutely <laughs> and he tackled Adam Hadwin. Absolutely hammered him. And uh -oh. that that was a the the form was great. And the fact that he was able to deflect the champagne bottle before he had an opportunity to really spray. Just thought he was a common fan. It was a wild scene. Russia. I mean, they were storming the green. Like again, you know, the Canadian winning the Canadian Open for the first time in like 65 years or whatever the number is. And the fans are storming the green. It's all happening so fast. Adam Hadwin is running towards Nick Taylor with a bottle of champagne. Like you almost get it from the security guard's perspective. It's like, oh, I can't let this happen. And he just ends up decking his good friend and fellow Canadian golfer, Adam Hadwin. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking... On Twitter last night, Adam Hadwin's wife sent out a tweet that said, uh, in true Canadian fashion, Adam Hadwin apologized to the security guard who tackled him. But, I mean, the security guard had no clue. Had absolutely yeah. no clue. And, and what, what's amazing, it's not like he was the first one to run out on the green. So what made the security guard kind of hone in on Adam 
and absolutely tackle and plug him? Was it the fact that he's one of the ones, the first ones he saw with the champagne? Like, bottle? where would the common fan have gotten a bottle of champagne? No, see that that's where that's where I was like, wow. So this security guard really did take his job seriously. But to 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 be tackled while trying to spray some champagne. And and you say he he apologized to the security guard. <laughs> yes, he did. Well, I'm I mean, sure they both. I'm sure you know the two Canadians mutually apologized profusely to each other. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, there, sorry. There's your etiquette, your yeah. golf etiquette, in, in in its truest form. But I I tell you, there was a couple places that really kind of made me laugh this weekend. Of course, your your Yankees broadcaster. Oh, I'll have to get that audio up hit by the foul ball and keeps on broadcasting. Now that was that was classic. That was good stuff to where you can get hit by a foul ball and continue to broadcast. Yeah, so John Sterling, if you don't know who he is, he's like been the Yankees radio broadcaster probably for like 40 years. He's a, he's an old man. Duh, and, yeah, the pitch. Uh and so he like what are the odds of this foul ball comes back into the into the press box, drills him in the face and it happens to just be in the ninth inning right before the last out. He says ow and then uh and then finishes the call and, and finishes the game and still does his yeah, the Yankees. Yeah, I got the audio. Let me just play it for you. <laughs> now the Three-two swung on a pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. So once again, it'll be a three-two, and Holmes ready to deal. A ground ball to third. Donaldson squares, throws to first in time. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. You know, that foul ball actually hit me. It kind of glanced off my forehead. So I took one for the team. Okay, John. Um, my best driver of the game is Kyle Higashioka, who wants to know if you're all right. Are you okay, John? Yes. Okay, I, yes. I am okay. Just a glancing blow. Just a glancing blow. Just but a glancing he, blow. He's calling the final out. I know you can't see the video if you're listening, but he's calling the final out like while holding a hand to the. I mean, it hits him. It hits him hard. I I, I can't believe he was just like fine and able to uh, able to finish the call. You and know. he said, "Ow!" And, he, and I know, you know eighty-four years yeah, he's, old. Yeah, he's not a young guy. John Sterling. He's been doing it for a minute. Years old, and 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 when you hear and see the audio, the way the ball ricocheted. And it wasn't, it's not like he just didn't see the ball coming. It ricocheted off of the table in front of him yeah. and then popped him in the face. And that's why he wasn't able to get out of the way of the foul ball because he's seen hundreds of thousands of foul balls pop back and have an opportunity to move out of the way. But this one, the way that the ball perfectly ricocheted and he wasn't able to move, I and mean, he if you, called it. I mean, he said the pop fly ball is coming <laughs> back toward us. If you've and ever, you know, sat like up high behind the plate in an MLB stadium, like, you know, it's like it doesn't if, if a ball is fouled back, 
Like, it kind of looks like if it's coming towards you, it doesn't look like it's moving very fast. And then if it actually gets towards you, it's like, woo, like it zooms. You don't have a really like you got to react when you see that the ball is headed in your direction, because if you wait until it's like floats in there, it's going to come at you with some speed. You know, very lucky that that he's again, the guy's 84 years old. Like It could have been a really bad situation. So happy he's OK. But man, oh, man. And. The fact that now a lot of these play-by-play analysts have their own cam, their camera set yeah. up to where you can see it, but I, I, I would just it, – it's, it's a tough situation to where you see him be hit by this ball, and, and all he says was, ow. Ow. And, and you know, y- y- you couldn't help but the human nature. If you love to see America's Funniest Home Videos – you're going to laugh. It's impressive that he didn't, like, you know, drop a F-bomb no, no or something. No profanity. That's what I mean. Like, you get hit in the face by a baseball out of nowhere. Like, you th- I'm, I'm not saying ow. I'm saying I'm saying something that, that's not safe for the radio. Like, ow? That's, I guess as an 84-year-old man, you know, it's a little bit different. But I, th- certainly the first word out of my mouth would not be ow. Look, he, he, he said, pop foul back here. So he knew it was coming. It's not like he didn't see it. It's just the way it ricocheted and caught him. It it really could have done a lot of damage, but at the same time for him to have an opportunity to sit there and finish the game and give his iconic call. Because it would have been one thing if the Yankees would have lost the game. Mm. You wouldn't have been able to get that out of them. But you were definitely able to go ahead and then for – the ball to be signed by the batter Justin Turner to give it to him yeah. after the game. As far as a souvenir standpoint, that'll be one that, as an 84 year old on the mantle, you can say that was the owl ball, not the foul ball. <laughs> the owl the ball. The owl ball. That's good. And it, it was it was just a great situation for baseball fans that that love the fact that someone's that's been covering the Yankees forever to have an opportunity to see him go ahead and at 84 years old to suck it up and and to find a way to finish it and not go on IR literally IR to to finish oh. that game and also I don't know Michael if you had a chance to see Floyd Mayweather and John Gotti the 3rd of course Mayweather, Money Mayweather, for those who love boxing and for those who love gangster movies, John Gotti. Yeah, that's the nephew of the mob boss, John Gotti. They were in an exhibition boxing match this weekend. Well, of course, you knew all hell was going to break loose. So they didn't even get an opportunity to finish the boxing match. When the bell rings, you see John Gotti go after Floyd Mayweather. Mm. And when he goes after Floyd Mayweather in the ring, Money Mayweather wants no part of it. He wants, he, he, he sends his security into the ring, and, of course, there's a nice little rumble in the ring, so to speak, with the two <laughs> got, camps. Got out John of hand Gotti. quickly. Hey, look, you, you, you can't have a name of John Gotti and be related to the all-time crime mob boss and not have – a posse with you that's willing to throw <laughs> hands and lay hands and you can't be money Mayweather and not have the type of crew and posse with you 
who's willing to throw hands at any time. So they had their exhibition bout, and it went it went wrong real quick, Bronner, as far as the two crews getting into it after the bell rang. And TMZ was able to capture a lot of the footage afterwards, but it was an all-out melee, not only in the ring, but in the hallway as well. So plenty of sporting events going on, and we'll jump back on and talk a little bit about the NBA Finals once again and I'll give our predictions there. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner joining you this Monday afternoon. This is CJ Mosley, inside linebacker, and you listen to the sports station, WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, the NBA Finals Game 5 coming up tonight. Tyler Hero is scheduled possibly to play in Game 5. At least that's what they want him to do. He's been a no-go for about almost two months now since hurting himself early in the playoffs and breaking his hand and now having an opportunity to possibly suit up. And if there's ever a time that you could use Tyler Hero, it, it would be being down three games to one. Miami tonight, the fact that Spolstra has an opportunity to to be in the NBA Finals and, and to possibly lose another one, do you think he's ultimately measured by the number of finals he's lost like LeBron James is, or is he going to be measured by the number he's won? So he's won what? Two. two? As, as a head coach. Okay. Mm. Well, no, I mean, I don't think that's really fair. I mean, I think the ones he's lost was, what, the Lakers in the bubble, and now let's assume he loses this one. I think they were up there pretty overmatched. In both. They weren't supposed to make the finals in the bubble. They weren't, weren't spo supposed to make the finals yeah. this year. And, They're an eighth seed. And running into a Nuggets team that is just a lot better than they are. No, I, I, I don't think uh, it's a type of situation where people are going to be like, you know, 10 years down the line, 50 years down the line, oh, Eric Spolstra, great coach, but couldn't get it done in the finals. Like, no, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to say that. Like, would he love to win one as a head coach without LeBron? Sure, I'm sure he would. Uh, obviously got one as the assistant in 06 with Pat Riley still as the head coach, but I don't think anyone's going to sit there and like question the legacy of Eric Spolstra because he lost two finals that, you know, he was pretty clearly overmatched in. It's ironic that, you know, he lost one to LeBron and his two ranks come with LeBron, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Do you disagree on that at all? No, I think Spolstra, what he's been able to accomplish, even with the great ones that he did have with LeBron and D-Wade. You can't take anything away from the fact that, that he is a two-time NBA World Championship head coach. So there's nothing wrong with that. Now, do you think that Tyler Hero coming back since being out April 16th when he hurt his hand against the Bucks makes any difference because Gabe Vincent and Max Struss have, has had to kind of hold it hold it in the road. And Robinson have had to hold it in the road for the heat from beyond the arc. So with him coming back tonight, does does that make a difference at all? Meh. 
Like, not not really. Well, what you're seeing, too, is the, the first time we saw game one, Vegas said, all right, we'll give Denver eight and a half, eight and mm-hmm. a half point favorites. Then we saw game two shrink, and I take that back, game three shrink to two points, two and a half points. You saw game four go back up to like maybe six, and this one's right back at eight and a half again. So I I don't know if that makes a difference for, you know, the the gambling odds as to where Denver just says, look, we don't care what the odds are. We want to go ahead and party at home in the Mile High City and have an opportunity not to have to go back to South Beach, even though the nightclubs are probably a little bit better in South Beach for them to be able to celebrate prior to coming home. They want to close it out in Denver. And tonight, Miami and Denver, I I just think that I really thought the Heat were going to give us a series and extend this. But, you know, if if you love basketball, of course you want to see the Miami Heat come out and not lay down and, and fold up. But the way things have been going, originally we thought it was going to be a sweep. And he, I said the series was going to go seven to begin with. So this whole NBA playoffs has kind of been unpredictable. To with be fair, I... Not knowing what team's going to show up. I did have uh, did have Denver and five at the start of the series. Denver and five at the beginning of the series is is, is what you predicted. So so will it will it wind up finishing itself like that? Will it be finished in five? And... What do you expect Denver to win by tonight? 50. They score 50 points? No, win by 50. Man, come <laughs> on, man. Uh, no, I, I think they're going to win by like 20, though. I, I don't think it's going to be a close game tonight. So 20-point win for the Denver Nuggets yeah. to where in the fourth quarter they're already yes in the locker room with it on ice. You don't have to worry oh, yeah. about the cameras showing them roll the – the, the champagne back into the refrigerator. We're going to know with 10 minutes left in the game that the Nuggets are NBA champions tonight. That That's what I'll say. Someone raised a good point in the app, by the way. We kind of neglected to talk about the finals he lost with LeBron and D-Wade as, as, uh, I mean, that, as head okay. coach that's of the why Heat. I asked, that's why I posed the question. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess I didn't consider is his, them is as well. Legacy, is his, is there the any map? difference? Because as head coach, you do have back-to-back world championships. I'll... I'll uh, I'll let him off the hook for the one to the Spurs in 14. The one to the Mavericks in 2011 is kind of a bad joke. <laughs> that, that, that one's not great. That That's like the only bad finals loss on his resume, though, of, of all of them. Again, I think the two without LeBron in Miami, against Le- one against LeBron and one against now Jokic. Yeah, throw those out in terms of evaluating Spolstra. And then, yeah, so... I still don't hold it against him. If, if he loses tonight, he'll be two and four as as coach as head coach. It's hard in the finals. It's hard to do. It's hard to get there. Yeah. Um. So so I being there him six times it. is impressive. Yeah. I mean that's why I think that a lot of people don't want to consider LeBron as the goat because how many times ten consecutive or something sick like that NBA finals? How many in a row did LeBron make it to? It's like nine, I believe. No, nah, I want to say we're in double digits. Double digits, LeBron James in the NBA Finals. And the fact that in order to be considered the GOAT, a lot of people say Michael Jordan it was 6-0. It was and eight. How many? Eight. Eight in a row. 2011 to 2018. Eight in a row. 
NBA Finals, LeBron James. Come on. I mean, that that's that's something that you don't see. And LeBron James still at the house trying to find a way to win another one with the Lakers. Now, the biggest question is going into the offseason, if the Denver Nuggets are able to close it out tonight, what they're able to add to their roster, and could they possibly look at a back-to-back in the Western Conference? Because who really, who really challenged the Denver Nuggets in the West? This season, I mean, you had the transformation of KD coming over yeah. to Phoenix late. Gave him what six that series went. So I, I still don't see where and and Phoenix. You see how they played that series without one of their elite point guards, who who may or may not be with that franchise next year. But is there any shifting of power in the West next season? Are the Lakers going to be a contender? Are they going to make it back? To the uh, sure, they're Conference sure they'll be a contender. I just, you know, I think there's a ceiling there. And you bring in Kyrie, maybe, maybe the ceiling gets a little higher. I still don't think they beat Denver, but you know, maybe they don't get swept. <laughs> maybe, maybe it goes to seven games. Maybe you're actually able to close out a couple of these games they weren't able to close out because they had a chance to win all four of them. Uh, no, I mean, I. I think Denver owns the West for the next couple of years. I'd be very surprised if they're not playing in the NBA Finals again next season. Well, they're they're absolutely on track tonight to go ahead and win the first ever. And and that's what you don't see. The Broncos gave Denver the blues for the longest <laughs> before they could get over that hump and actually win a Super Bowl. And you saw how John Elway and just the relief that he felt for the Denver, the city of Denver getting a Super Bowl for Denver. The first appearance here for the Denver Nuggets trying to go one for one and bring in a world championship back to Denver again. It's just something that even a couple of years ago in the bubble, you knew that if they stayed healthy, they would be contenders. But to close it out tonight would be special. I don't think they're going to close it out tonight. I'm going to stick oh. with my guns. I'm going to stick with my guns. There we go. I'm going to go. With the Miami Heat finding a way to extend this series, no, it's over tonight, man. All I'm right. sorry to tell you. Well, I, I, I'd love to keep. I'd love to be wrong because I'd love to keep talking about actual basketball instead of just st- opening the show tomorrow with Denver's NBA champion. So I'll be rooting for the Heat tonight, but no, man, it's over. All right, Vegas says eight and a half. Bronner says they're going to close it out four games to one. Denver is the better franchise, but we'll see if Miami can be the better team tonight. Game number five of the NBA Finals. Coming up next, John Rachetti will be joining us and talking and prepping us for a, champ- a major championship that will be this weekend in golf. John Rachetti next here on the Final Drive. Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this Monday afternoon. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. And, of course, now it's time for our golf report, brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Products and Services. John Rachetti, good afternoon. Hope all is well, and you had a great weekend, my friend. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Doing well, guys. Well, I tell you what, it's that time of year to where, you know, you have your your majors 
coming up and this weekend we do have one of the big time majors that will be starting off but in the canadian open last night i don't know about how your golf game is but to see a 72 foot putt made in a four hole playoff that that's that's what you're that's what you love to see as far as under those circumstances to make that type of putt well, yeah, Corey obviously talking about uh, Nick Taylor there, who's uh, obviously, he's won on the PGA Tour before, but uh, yeah, it was like, a, in that playoff, it was like a Ryder Cup performance, obviously, uh, with all these guys, um, you know, uh, looking for all the Canadian, you know, there's 20,000 people out there watching Nick Taylor, they probably, only guys I know probably rooting for Tommy Fleetwood, who, by the way, has never won on the PGA Tour. Amazingly enough, he has never won, and he was looking for his first PGA Tour victory. But uh, and they only had a couple of guys. Uh, I think Justin Rose, Terrell Hatton, a couple of guys were out there watching too, waiting for uh, hopefully Tommy Fleetwood could do it. But it's been a long, long time since a Canadian has won the Canadian Open, and uh, he finally, you know, finally did it. Nick Taylor did it, and it's a huge. Huge victory for him, and obviously the country of Canada, the Canadian, has won their national open. John, you know, it, it might be one of the biggest episodes of the John Rochetti show ever. You know, we got the U.S. Open this week, and it's somehow the third topic on the docket with your guy Nick Taylor winning the Canadian Open, and then, of course, you know, breaks last week. Uh, you know, of course, we, we do Monday nights, and then, of course, all this live PGA stuff comes out on Tuesday afternoon, so we had to wait six days to talk about it. But what are we thinking now? Six days, about uh, about six days into this breaking news of the quote-unquote merger with, uh, you know, the PIF and the DP World Tour, all that, you know, give us, give us a little breakdown on your thoughts. Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think this is good for the game of golf because and for the sole reason of all the bickering, whether people, you know, dislike live, love live, upset with the PGA Tour, why they do, you know, why they, you know, holding it or whatever your take is on it. And everybody has their opinion and people are entitled to their opinion, whether you're, you're in the golf media or you're just, an, you're just an avid golfer. You got your opinion. But I think at the end of the day, I think this is good for the game, obviously, because the only reason I say is we're going to cut all this bickering. And I really believe that Jay Monahan has a ace under his sleeve to make an announcement that for all the people that – because there's still, there's a, still a lot of resentment amongst players on the PGA Tour regarding the, that they chose to go this direction. But I think he's got an ace up his sleeve when they come out there will be so much money they're playing for, or guaranteed money, that nobody's going to about, about the decision Jay Monahan made because I think at the end of the day, you know, money rules, and I think that they're going to end up siding with Jay. Well, even if there's a, a potload of money for the players, do do we really think the federal government is not going to be involved and let this merger occur? Well, valid point, Corey, but I, I'd have to say that, uh, I've, you know, I've been thinking about that, I've been reading about that, but my only thing is, is like, you know, it's like a piece of real estate, right? Everybody says, they got a great deal on this, and everybody goes, why, why are you buying it? I'm always like, 
Do you realize there, there's people out there with money that would do it? If they would have thought it was great, they would have they would have already bought it. Same as sincere. As much money as they spend on legal 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 actions and you know doc all this lawsuits and so forth that somebody at the federal level or attorneys were advising them that this would probably go through because I don't think they would make that decision if they knew that there's a chance that the federal government uh, would not okay this. So that's my take on that. I think they would have never made this in knowing that they got a home run that they probably it's going to probably pass. John, I'll get to the U.S. Open in just a second, but I can't let you out of here without a little dig at Rory McIlroy. So what is this, like the seventh straight Sunday he's collapsed on? <laughs> well, I know, but you know what, brother? I, I, I want to go this. You realize he's kind of trending. Like, okay, he is, he is collapsing on, the, you know, on Sundays. He is. You're right. But he's kind of sticking his nose in there. You realize that? Yeah. And I kind of got a hunch that come the U.S. Open. Oh no! And even though you're not gonna, you're not gonna like to hear no. this. Don't and say. I got a, I got a hunch that Rory McIlroy is going to be in the equation come Sunday. Now I'm not telling you uh, he's gonna win it. Uh, but I got a hunch that he's going to be in the equation. John, I don't think that's a bad prediction. I'll tell you what's going to happen. He's going to be in it. He's going to be like one shot off the lead going into Sunday. And then he's going to shoot three over on Sunday and, and, and choke. That's what's going to happen. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced of it. Bet, you know, like Throw everything you have on the fact that Rory McIlroy is in contention in a major, in a major event or a, like a big tournament going into Sunday. And, and he chokes. Like, that's just what the guy does at this point. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah, well, I gotta. I, I I'm not gonna say he's. I'm, I'm not picking him to win. He's not my pick. I will announce my pick tonight at six o'clock on the show. But I want to tell you that I, even though you hate to hear this, Bond, and you're still my man, is that he is going to be in the equation. And sooner or later, you're not gonna hear. Close your ears here. Sooner or later, as you keep going to dance, you get somebody to dance with you. That's so it. I think sooner or later. He's gonna get. He's not. He's gonna close it on a Sunday because you're due. And even though you don't want to hear that, I just got a hunch. But he's not my pick. But I got a hunch that this cat is gonna be in the equation because you cannot continue to do what he's been doing, teasing everybody, and he can't got it. And you know I've said this so long that I think he's the, probably the best player in the game. With a, I mean, he's got a great resume. Obviously, but he should have a way better resume. Oh yeah. I mean, based on his ability and talent. I mean, so you know, it is. We'll we'll, we'll see how it is, and uh, you know, the U.S. Open's going to be awesome. Uh, looking for. I can't wait for prime time television. Sitting at your, you know, sitting on your couch at eight, nine o'clock, nine thirty at night. You know, keep watching late night golf. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome. NBC. You know, re- looking forward to that. It's going to be good. And, uh, a lot of storylines, obviously, in this Open. Um, you know, I mean, Brooks Kepka, you can't, you got to look at him too. I mean, uh, Cameron Smith's another guy. Maybe he's another guy that, you know, look, could there be another live guy win? 100% it could happen this week, but uh going to be a great golf course. I've been fortunate enough to play that golf course before. Uh, it's truly one of, uh, you know, one of my bucket, one of the top courses I've ever been to, an outstanding place. Uh, it's going to be great. And uh, one more thing. Uh, congratulations to the Country Club of Mobile mm. 
to their staff, to their membership for putting on one of the best state amateur championships that was held this past week, which kid Tyler Watts at the age of 15 played 54, ended up winning, played 54 holes, guys, without a bogey. Going to be a sophomore up in Huntsville. Great plan. I know we had a lot of local guys that played great, but I just want to throw that out there to the great job that the Country Club of Mobile did on that golf course because it was truly spectacular. I know one of the days he did shoot a 62, which was pretty yeah. impressive. I think that might have been on Thursday to where he wound up shooting that 62. But in order to be a great amateur, we've seen some amateurs go ahead and, and turn that page very quickly when they do play collegiately and, and then wind up hitting that professional circuit. So I know that you do have your Miller Lite John Reschetti golf show coming up here at 6 o'clock p.m. immediately following the final drive. Any other interesting news and notes going in to the U.S. Open that, that will be kind of eye-catching or something that I need to, to keep an eye on for sure? Well, there's a par three, the 11th hole that they say they're going to play one day, guys. It's going to be like two. Like, get, sit down. I know folks who's tuned in driving, grab, grab the wheel. <laughs> 290 yards, possibly, a par three could be played this week, the longest in history of a par three. I uh, don't know. I seen the, you know, the left side. Remember, I feel like I played it. I didn't know where they played it that long. But uh, that's going to be a little tidbit. I think that, uh, you know, already good reviews. The rough is up there, but it's just in the U.S. Open. But from, you know, listening to the guys who played yesterday, you know, so I think Justin was out there with Spieth and Ricky yesterday. They were raving about the golf course. Uh, a lot of short-type holes, long holes. Got a complete variety of holes, and I think this could be the makings of a really, really great U.S. Open. And uh, like I say, it's a primetime television. You can't, you can't knock it. I know there's going to be a lot, there'll be a lot of Cinderella stories. You know, guys who went through both qualifiers to get there. And, uh, you'll be hearing a lot about it. So stay tuned. It should be great. Well, I will say this: it looked like Happy Gilmore yesterday. Adam Hadwin getting tackled on the golf course as he's trying to spray champagne in celebration of Taylor's Canadian Open victory. Have you ever seen anything like that in the gentleman's sport of golf to where a spectator and or a competitor gets tackled by security mistakenly? Uh, I don't know if I can. I don't know if we can. I mean, I'm sure it's probably happened. I can't recall. But, you know, I, you know, Adam Hadwin took it with a grain of salt, which, you know, because this could be a, I don't know if you want to blow it up type story. Guy got hurt. Can you imagine if you got hurt, broke his wrist or something like that? Because Adam Hadwin is a really good player. I mean, he's top 100 player in the world. He's got a chance to make some noise at the USA, U.S. Open. He's that good. But I was just fortunate that no one got hurt. At the end of the day, the security guard was doing his job. And applaud him for, I mean, I don't know, I mean, he did what he had to do, I guess. Who knows? He didn't know who Adam had. He didn't realize who it was. Could have been some, you know, some guy. Who knows what could have happened? And you think the worst, and uh, you never know. But I think at the end of the day, they handled it, I guess. You know, could have been a little, you know, jumping on. He didn't know what he had, what he was getting ready to do. So, 
you know, I guess he might have been able to handle it different, but at the end of the day, nobody got hurt. Adam Highland's good to go, and he's he's already, you know, he's already laughing it off, and he's focused on the U.S. Open, and good thing by Adam Highland. Appreciate you, John Rochetti. Coming up next here, the Miller Lite John Rochetti Golf Show. Immediately following the final drive from 6 to 7 here on WNSP. So look forward to catching you later on tonight. All right, guys. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next Monday. And look forward to stay tuned tonight. At, I'll be at Felix's Fish Capture. Great show. John Rochetti joining us here on the final drive, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Ladarius Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, we did mention the NBA Finals, but part of the NBA Finals entertainment is when Conor McGregor knocks out Bernie, who is the Miami Heat mascot, and sent him to the emergency room. Of course, you, you do have these scripted parts by mascots coming out with celebrities or what have not. But on Friday, the first punch that Conor McGregor made on Bernie, the Miami Heat mascot, was probably to knock him down. It was to graze him. But the second punch that Conor McGregor, former MMA champion slash professional boxer, makes on Bernie, did send the mascot to the emergency room and... The Miami Heat's head coach, Eric Spolstra, was asked about the status of Bernie, and he said that Bernie hopefully will be back in Miami when the Heat are able to bring game number six to the NBA Finals. But have you ever seen a situation to where a mascot gets knocked out? I know Mike Tyson has, has swung at a mascot, but... There's normally enough protection in there, but you have to see when you look at Bernie's yeah. costume. So you think it was the second punch that did it? I, I think it was the second punch. I think the second punch McGregor. wasn't scripted. I think he got a little excited and, uh, and, and threw the second punch. And, and sends Bernie to the emergency room. I think I've seen, like I said, I've seen Mike Tyson take some swings before on mascots, but these are all scripted and and it's just funny when you the see things like that. first one was scripted. Like, like, he went down, and then McGregor gets all excited and throws the second. It was it was unnecessary. I still like Connor. Connor's my guy. And I, I know we have a caller yeah, we'll go to on Chuck. the line. Go, go ahead, ahead caller. Hey, I, I'm just going to mention, Corey, you were talking earlier about uh, college coaches that went to the NFL ranks, and some that didn't have so much success, and some did. Uh, I don't know if you said it or not, but there are three that won national championships and then went on to win Super Bowls also. So that's Jimmy Johnson, Pete Carroll, and Barry Switzer. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always tickled about uh, Barry Switzer. Uh, somebody asked Barry Switzer after they had won the Super Bowl with the Dallas Cowboys, what? What, what was the difference between winning the Super Bowl and winning the national championship? Switzer's response, Corey, well, when I was at Oklahoma, I didn't have a salary cap. 
So I mean, I think that's what he said. I think, it, but but now one of one of the best uh, a college coach that won four national championships, and then took his uh, skills to the NFL. One of my favorite coaches. His record doesn't reflect it. John McKay. Mm-hmm. He coached USC to four titles, but my uh, goodness, he lost his first twenty six games. Uh, the first team they beat was uh, the New Orleans Saints. I think that was back in 77. And uh, somebody asked him about it, and he said, are you kidding me? He said, of course I'm excited. He said, we're only three or four plane crashes away from qualifying for the playoffs. So, you know, (laughs) yeah. That's a brutal way to look at it, Chuck. And I'll tell you, Bobby Ross, when he took the Chargers to the Super Bowl, had an opportunity Mm -hmm. but but wasn't able to get over it. And and I I, I know that when you're taking over for Jimmy Johnson and the Dallas Cowboys, I think that Barry Switzer definitely was gifted a team. And – but at the same time, you still have to be responsible, win or lose, for that team. It just so happens Barry Switzer took the best roster and was able to continue to win, wasn't able to sustain it. But, Chuck, always appreciate you for tuning in and listening to the final drive. And appreciate those nuggets you drop as well. Thank you, sir. All right, y'all be good. And you can note that Dallas hasn't won it since. Absolutely. So that's why they're getting impatient. No okay. doubt about it. Later, it's been a while. It's been a while if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. The final drive, 5 o'clock hour coming up. Zach Blackerby scheduled to join us here on the final drive. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number three of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty joined by my producer, Michael Bronner, on this Monday afternoon. And we want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, you can call us at 251-694-1055, or you can correspond with us in the app as well. And, of course, the breaking news of today has been the fact that Alabama goes ahead and hires a new baseball coach, one that comes from Maryland, and that head coach is Rob Vaughn. And Rob Vaughn will apparently look to take on one of the interim coaches. Jason Jackson is going to be his top assistant coach, and, of course, that is pretty good news if you're a Crimson Tide fan, knowing the fact that you're going to have a familiar face still in your dugout. But the Maryland Terrapins have had success in the last couple of years. And, of course, 
Auburn would have liked to have had that type of success as well in making it to the Super Regionals. Weren't able to do that, but baseball still is in full effect. And we'll talk to Zach Blackerby this evening on the final drive. Zach, thanks for joining us, my friend. Sure, sure. What a segue. Well, yeah, you know, you, you have to segue there as far as the regionals and the super regionals being involved, but you do still do have a lot of SEC teams that the Auburn Tigers did have a lot of success against down the stretch. But, Zach, I, I will say this, too. You know, when you look at the fact that the Auburn Tigers, you know, didn't have to make any coaching changes, they just know that, they are, are looking to move forward and learn from what they experienced one year ago and making it to the College World Series. What a difference a year does make for a collegiate baseball team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially when you have, you know, a bunch of guys drafted, you know, how, how do you respond to all of that? And, you know, Auburn did a good job replacing their offense for the most part, did not do a good job replacing their, their pitching. So, We'll see. It'll bring a lot of guys back. Um, in fact, a few of the guys I thought they were going to leave, that were going to leave via the portal, actually chose to stay. So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like. But, um, yeah, I mean, still, just the, the fact that they had such a solid regional draw and they weren't able to do anything with it is still going to sting for a while. Well, I, I will say this. The, the game three to this evening, Southern Miss and Tennessee, we've said it a week ago this southern miss team is a very good baseball squad and i think that they're going to have an opportunity to give tennessee all they can handle this evening yeah they're scrappy and that's kind of what you need if you're coming out of the sun belt right because you're not going to necessarily have the talent that an sec roster is going to have but they're well coached and i mean they'll uh, they're not afraid of you which is which is exactly the mindset that they need to have coming out of the Stun Belt. And so, you know, Auburn ran into that. They hit a three-run homer in the first inning against Auburn. And they fought their way out of the loser's bracket to win a regional, which is tough. That's tough to do, especially when you're one of the visiting teams. So, hats off to Southern Miss. Like you said, they're a, it's a good program. Yeah, they're a really good team. We're speaking with Zach Blackerby locked on Auburn. Now, Zach, I'll, t I'll preface this. I wouldn't ask every Auburn guest this, but – this is our guy, Zach Blackerby. So I feel comfortable enough to ask you ask you this question. When Alabama lost on Sunday or yesterday, you know, it was 22 to 5. It, it was embarrassing. It was bad. Man, I, I'll tell you what. Auburn fans were having a real victory lap on Twitter. It, I mean, it was an interesting day in the Gump Twitter community. And I'm just like... What, what what's going on there? I, I mean, it, like, really? I mean, it, it's a situation where Auburn has been, like, obviously we know Auburn's little brother, but they've been really little brother this year. Alabama's dominated them in every sport. Alabama took three out of four from them in baseball this year. Auburn lost a regional at home in both games. I mean, what's got, like, really, man? Like, it, it was just, it was it was an odd day on, on, on Barner Twitter. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't watch any college baseball this weekend. Once once Auburn's out of it, I kind of quit following it. But uh, I saw I saw the Wake Forest was scoring a lot just because of the folks I follow on Twitter, the Auburn folks tweeting it out. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, and I've kind of got mixed feelings on, like, how you should feel about that. You know, they're definitely, you know, Auburn folks definitely raised the flag of, like, you know, Auburn had the Final Four. 
Alabama doesn't. Auburn's been to Omaha however many times. Has Alabama been to Omaha? I'm not asking that to, like, to be cute. I genuinely don't know. Not but, since 1999. Yeah, like, okay, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I saw tweets kind of highlighting that. Um, that again, I mean, you don't have anything else to celebrate, you know. Um, why not? I'm not going to tell people not to celebrate something if it brings them joy and makes them happy. But uh, also, like, you weren't playing. Like, you weren't playing this weekend. So, I uh, I don't know, man. I do, I do think it's um, – I agree with you. I think it's a little weird, but I also totally get it. I totally get it. If that's, if that's the way to, you know, follow sports and you kind of feel like you're involved and your team's somewhat involved, um, go for it, I guess. See, I knew you would have a reasonable take on that. And believe me, like, I, I'm not I'm not one who's not going to, like, give a little smile when Auburn loses, but, heck, I mean, it, it was like... Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think this is a one-sided... Thing. I mean, it's not. We got to go back a bit because it's been a minute since Auburn's had success. But you know, like uh, like with 2013, Alabama fans they didn't just lose the Iron Bowl, hmm. right? It was all about you know, well they got to change the rules, or you know, Chris Davis stepped out of bounds, or you know the ridiculous stuff that they said and did about Cam Newton and playing to take the money and run stuff in the 2010 Iron Bowl, like. Neither side is perfect here, right? Let's just be very honest <laughs> when we have this discussion. But as far as recently, it's been Alabama that's been better at everything, right? And so, um, you know, that, that's just kind of been it. You know, and, and if we're flipped, you know, and maybe one day it will be where, you know, Auburn's kind of on a run and has the better side of the rivalry in, in most sports, um, i got to feel we'll see similar things. That's just a, that's just a guess. Zach Blackerby. Manager at Locked On Network, host of Locked On Auburn. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about politicians and coaches getting together in Washington, D.C., Tommy Tuberville has had some interesting takes on college football and, and really thinks that the NIL rules are what he calls a disaster. And also, in that same breath, Tommy Tuberville is a candidate and is on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. So Tuberville goes from coach at Ole Miss, Auburn, to senator, and he gets all everything in one, nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame and also gets to chime in on collegiate athletics. Interesting. I didn't know he was on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't know who he's up against, but he probably deserves it. I mean, he, you know, not really known for recruiting, turned a lot of, you know, Three and four star guys in the NFL talent. That 014 will be one of the best teams to ever suit up when you look at like what those guys did at the next level in that time period. So props to him for, for all of that. And yeah, I mean, whether it's good or bad, he's kind of led the charge in Washington with the NIL type stuff. And, you know, he says the rules are ridiculous, but like no one will add any rules. So, like, what rules are we really even talking about? Um, Coach Tuberville, but yeah, I mean, cool. I, I like I like Coach Tuberville. He's been he's been very respectful every time I've talked. Uh, I've spoken to him. Uh, I think he knows what he's talking about. Um, so cool. Yeah, congrats to Coach Tuberville. I, I wasn't aware of that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you're very welcome there. And I tell you, Bruce Pearl is going to try to find himself in the College Basketball Hall of Fame, and he's the only. Auburn coach to have made it to a Final Four, and here it is. Auburn gets another junior college commitment, and that one coming from a six-foot-nine forward who averaged nine and a half points and almost seven rebounds a game 
out of Navarro, Texas College, has two years of eligibility remaining, and that's going to be Adarian Scott, and that's another great addition yeah. to what Coach Pearl has going on. Yeah, all the other ones made sense. This feels like they just need the body. Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't know if this is a guy that really makes your roster that much better. I think he's a practice body with a chance to develop into something down the road, um, maybe similar to kind of what they saw. No, I was about to compare him to Malik Dunbar a few years ago, but I'm not going to do that because I think Dunbar's path to being a starter was more clear than this guy's. I could be wrong, but just looking at his tape, it's like it's fine. Everything about him is fine. He's got good size. Maybe they like what he could possibly develop into, but I just think in this day and age with the transfer portal and all that, I think there's always going to be options that are maybe better than him moving forward. But, guys, I think this is just first Pro had a scholarship, and it was better to give it to this guy for you know team and depth and all of that uh, than to give it to a walk-on. That's really how I feel about this one. Zach, will transition from the Auburn Tigers over to the Atlanta Braves. And the Atlanta Braves in their last 10 are 8-2 and two and have found ways to win games in dramatic fashion and made it fun no if kidding. you're an Atlanta Braves fan here within the last week to where they're finding a way to get it done at the end of games and are just continuing to lead the NL East division by three and a half games over the Miami Marlins. Yeah, yeah. The, the the only part that's really not fun is when you, is when you have uh, like stories written out about okay, you're ready to go up at BravesToday.com, and they come back and you got to change the angle and everything. That's a good thing. That's a good thing for sure. So yeah, until yesterday they were riding a seven game winning streak and ultimately lost to the Washington Nationals, but still won the series. In fact, they haven't lost the series in division. All year. They tied the Phillies in a four-game series, and they both took two apiece, but they have not lost a series within the NL East this season, which is incredible. And so, you know, folks complaining about how they lost their final game of the series, it's like, well, let's have some things in perspective. And look, they're really, they're really the team kind of playing the best ball in the National League, and we'll see if it kind of takes up a little bit because they've been doing this, guys. Without two of their starters. They've been doing it without Max Reed. They've been doing it without Kyle Wright. So we'll see. It should get better. Like they should get better from the mound, which, you know, if they can just kind of keep doing what they're doing from the plate, this is going to be a really good team in soft set and done. Yeah, I think that that's what I'm looking forward to seeing is can the Braves sustain it because their roster is built to go for the long haul in regards to especially you mentioned those yeah. missing pieces of the puzzle that are going to be plugged in. And as we are already almost to the middle of June, of course, you look at July and you start looking at all-star game ballots and votes for the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves are not short of recognition for those all-star participants. Yeah, I mean, there's there's several guys that deserve all-star bids. I mean, definitely Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, deserves it. Sean Murphy's playing like the best catcher in all of baseball. Matt Olson, one of the best first basemen in all of baseball. He won't get the nod, but Orlando Arcia has been exceptional at shortstop. But he missed too much time with, with an injury. I, I don't think he'll get the votes, but I think he deserves it statistically with what he's been able to do. And then, you know, Spencer Strider still leading, you know, as far as all the odds, betting odds to win the Cy Young in the National League. So 
there's a lot to like about this team. They're good in a lot of different areas, and they've got the best player in baseball in Ronald Acuna. So, I mean, this is a fun team to watch. Well, Zach, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll keep an eye and keep up to date every single week with you moving forward here in the major leagues to see how the Atlanta Braves are doing and continue to, like you said, the last 10 games are 8-2. and two. And there's always Auburn Tiger movement, whether it's in the portal, basketball, or football, and there's always news with the mega camps and the super camps that these coaches are having, the official visits, the unofficial visits. They always roll in throughout the summertime. And we look forward to talking to you again next week about how the Auburn Tigers and the Atlanta Braves are both doing. Zach Blackerby, how can everyone follow your great coverage of everything Locked on Auburn? Yeah, Locked on Auburn, available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. All of our written Auburn coverage is at AuburnDaily.com. Had an interview with one of those guys that was at the camp that you were alluded to, Bryce Kane, a three-star wide receiver, stick between Auburn and Ole Miss. Probably sometime this week, I think I'll pick Auburn. So, Got, a, got an interview with him up at AuburnDaily.com. Then all of the written work for a, the Atlanta Braves is at, uh, is at Bravestoday.com if you're into that. Zach, can't thank you enough. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you again next Monday. Hey, thanks, guys. Zach Blackerby joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Monday evening. Hello, Mobile. This is Damian Craig, and I'm listening to Sports Station WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And, of course, the breaking news today, the Alabama baseball team has a new head baseball coach, Maryland's former coach, Rob Vaughn, will be donning the crimson and white next season and the good news is jason jackson who interviewed for the head coaching position he had the interim tag named on him as coach bohannon was fired amidst uh gambling allegations that will probably wind up finding coach bohannon in jail but mm -hmm. rob vaughn comes on over and i think that that's a great hire by Alabama because you're bringing someone who's not necessarily had success in the SEC because he's never coached in the SEC, but he is having an opportunity now to dip his toes into what is the best conference in the country. Hey, you can coach baseball. You can coach baseball, man. This is a guy who's led a successful Maryland program that's won a lot of games and made a lot of postseasons. Obviously, I, I think there's probably a cap to what you can do uh, at a program like Maryland where, and you know, to an extent, there's certainly been a cap to what you could do at Alabama over the last, uh, really since the last time they made Omaha in 1999. So, uh, and playing in the SEC, the, the nature of how good the SEC has been for the, really for a very long time and how good it is right now, there, there is a cap to what you can do, but, uh, Ideally, uh, you bring in a guy who you hope can kind of shatter that ceiling and put you among the SEC's elite, and I think that's what they're hoping Vaughn is going to be able to do. Yeah, I think that he'll have success at Alabama, and I, I think that, again, the emotions that were tied into the success, because had Coach Jackson not been able 
to have success as Alabama's interim coach if they just would have went sub-500 and not made it to the regionals for the first time since, what, 2010 and had an opportunity to, to bring a packed crowd to the Joe to, to enjoy it and, and make it to the Super Regionals, playing a, a, a number one-ranked Wake Forest team that, that defeated them yesterday 22-5. to five. Mm. You know, I, I still don't think that if Coach Jackson doesn't have that success, it could have gone in one of two directions, Michael. It could have gone in the direction that it did go into, or it could have tanked and got ugly real quick for this Crimson Tide program. And good for the state of Alabama that you had Auburn and Alabama turn their baseball programs around and have success the way that they did, along with with Troy having success also. But Alabama, again, is, is back to where it wants to be from a baseball national prominence standpoint. Yeah, uh, obviously uh, it was not a situation after Brad Bohannon was fired. We, we weren't sitting here on the day Brad Bohannon was fired talking about can Alabama host the regional no. or can Alabama make a super regional. You know, we weren't really talking about the baseball aspect of it at all and the fact that Coach Jackson was able to get the team focused, win some games against some really good teams, win two games in the SEC tournament, host the regional, win all three games in said regional, and make a super regional for the first time since 2010. Like, yeah, did they get smoked by a team that was a lot better than them and a team that is the number one team in the country for a reason? Yeah, they did. Uh, but, you know, you make a super regional, it's certainly nothing to uh, hang your head over in regular circumstances and these circumstances around Alabama baseball this season were anything but regular so uh you know props to Jason Jackson happy that he's going to be sticking around as the associate head coach and remaining as the pitching coach and uh we'll see what coach Vaughn can come in and do yeah I'm I'm excited that that he's going to be sticking around for sure and I I, I would say that you look at someone who's not going to be sticking around at least for the time being. Theodore linebacker Bobby Cam Pruitt over the weekend, he went down to mm -hmm. Miami, Florida, Coral Gables, and came back and said, look, he's committing to the U. And that's another great 2-5-1 player that is having an opportunity to verbally commit and go elsewhere and put those roots down and show that he's the real deal at Miami playing for the U. Yeah, Pruitt had 99 tackles last year, like 15 of them for loss. Yeah, he's a he's a really good player. He had all he had SEC offers. He could have stayed in state if he wanted to. Ultimately, uh, Cristobal is able to convince him to come to Miami. Sounds like they have a plan for him. Obviously, uh, you know he's kind of played all over the defense a little bit, safety linebacker. It sounds like they're planning on switching him over to outside linebacker full time, putting a little more weight on him. But Pruitt's a really good player. He's got a bright future. Seems like he's a really good kid too. He was on the opening kickoff this morning with his father. Uh, so you know, you know, hoping it works out for him. Well, I, I, if he stays with that commit, I know it will because Miami has dipped in to Mobile, Alabama before and had success there. So I think that. It's a situation to where, you know, he wants his degree in hand within three years. And going to summer school, he's able to do that with the way NIL is set up. You know, there's nothing wrong with going down and, and spending a little time on the beach down in Miami and making a name for yourself 
for sure. And someone who's making a name for himself within the collegiate coaching ranges, Brett Dearman. He's the head football coach at North Alabama. They have allocated money for a brand new on-campus stadium. We'll catch up with Coach Dearman next here on The Final Drive. Hey, this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and my favorite station is WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in this Monday evening, and it's a pleasure to be joined by our next guest, the head football coach, at North Alabama, Brent Dearman joins us this evening on the final drive. Coach, good evening. I hope all is well. Oh, it's great. I'm on the final drive. I mean, there's a minute and a half left, two timeouts. We're down three. We got to put this thing in the end zone now. Absolutely, Coach. And, and where you're going to put it in the end zone here in a couple of years is on your own campus stadium. I know you guys have to be extremely excited and roaring and ready to go having your own on-campus playing facility. Man, the first time in school history that they're going to play games on campus. Uh, you know, the, the, the local facility, you know, me being a mobile guy, I play tons of games in LAD. I coach tons of games in LAD. But it's just a different feeling, I know, for those schools down there that just got their own stadium for the first time. Uh, that they can call home, a place that you can call your own. Uh, man, it, it, it comes out on Friday, this past Friday, that, that uh, we're gonna, we announced that we're going to start, start the process and uh, in the next few years be breaking ground and, and playing home games now. Coach, I mean, you're, you're in a, a, a position here taking over as the head coach at North Alabama. You, you know and have never shied away from your Mobile roots, of course, being a, a Viger High School graduate, knowing everything that, that your family and your father taught you about football, having a brother who is part of a state championship team at Sarah Land. But, Coach, the staff that you have assembled, talk about some of the guys that we know locally that are now donning the purple and, I guess, white and a little bit of gold trimmed in there for North Alabama now. Yes, sir. The, the only way that I could pull this first guy is we had to have a ten of gold uh, because Deshaun Davis wouldn't just wear purple and white. <laughs> with, with the with the Viger roots, he said, I can't just wear the purple and white. There's got to be something else in there. Uh, <laughs> but our linebacker coach, Deshaun Davis, played there at Viger High School his freshman year. I remember going and picking him up when I was coaching at Viger. And I'd pick him up and bring him to workouts or I'd go get him for school. And uh, and for me being on staff when we were able to sign him at, at Auburn, uh, just my connection with him just goes a, a, a while back. And uh, he's basically family to me. Uh, and then uh, we, we crossed the bay and being able to bring Thomas Johnston, who played at, at Spanish Four, played at UAB, bringing him on board as well. So we got both sides of the bay covered between those two guys. Uh, and then hiring another guy, in-state guy, not a mobile guy, but another in-state guy with Jake Bentley who played at Opelika uh, and then finished his playing career at South Alabama. Uh, just just make sure that we sure up the 251 area. 
Brent Deerman, head coach of North Alabama, our guest on the final drive this afternoon. Coach, UNA is a program that obviously has fallen on some hard times, 1-10 last season. Like, How do you go about the task you're taking over this season? How do you go about the task of you know, building a culture that ideally is going to lead to some wins? You know, we got to compete every day. Uh, uh, we got to win today, and then we'll worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, I think it's uh, that's biblical. Uh, let tomorrow worry about itself. And what we try to do every day is do some type of competing. If it's in the weight room, doing a, a push-up challenge, a pull-up challenge on, on the field. Uh, we started last week where uh, once a week we play wiffle ball, we play four square, we play uh, kickball and dodgeball. We're just teaching these guys how to compete. Because winning is hard at any level. So uh, teaching these guys what that feeling's like to win, but also to compete. I know it has to be fun looking at that schedule, and and it looks like if I'm looking at your schedule correctly, there August 26, Saturday, 2:30, ESPN, Mercer. It's going to be the FCS kickoff in Montgomery, Alabama's Crampton Bowl. I know that you have to look no bigger and better or have no better reason to say, hey, guys, look, one day at a time, that one day that we have to be great is going to go backwards on the calendar for every day that built up to August 26 when you debut on ESPN. Absolutely. You know, I don't know what better stage you would like uh, for game one. And what you just came out and said, I'll tell you what, we need to hire you as our, as our hype guy you know, <laughs> to get us ready. Uh, you, you come out game one as the FCS classic game on ESPN and, and the historic Crampton Bowl. I remember back in my, my junior year of high school playing Robert E. Lee and some of those old Viger versus Lee battles in the Crampton Bowl. And get to go back in my first game as the head coach at UNA uh, I think they're going to come out as a top 15 to top 20 FCS team. Uh, so get your oil tested early. And then turn around the next week and you play a, a top 10 team in Chattanooga as your first true home game. So uh, great, great uh, first two opponents to open the schedule to kind of test our oil out a little bit. Well, Coach, Corey asked you about the first game, and I know you can't get caught looking ahead, but I, I can't not ask this looking at the schedule. You you guys end the season. You're going to get the chance to take a trip to Tallahassee, and your guys are going to get the chance to see what it's like to play in a, a massive, huge program and play at Florida State. I mean, just how excited are you for an opportunity like that? I'm unbelievably excited. I, I think it came out today that uh, somebody put out a uh, top 10 preseason Heisman rank uh, uh, ratings and uh, Jordan Travis, Florida State's quarterback, was number two on the list. And we get to take our players into Dope Campbell Stadium uh, to finish the year out. Hopefully, we're prepping for uh, a playoff game the next week. But what an experience! What a, an amazing venue to be able to take our players uh, to. I think they play the Florida Gators the next week. So you talk about looking ahead. You know, we're, we're going to be hoping that those guys are looking ahead at that moment in time to that Florida Gators game when we're rolling into Tallahassee that week. We're speaking with Brent Deerman. He's the head football coach at North Alabama and, again, taking over in his first year. Coach, no stranger to, again, looking at what high school football means. And you're getting your brand-new stadium on campus here in a couple of years. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to come by Viger and see Viger Stadium right next to the school and being able to walk from 
that building over to that brand new stadium, even BC Reigns Stadium, where you were the head coach in 2011, 2012, and how beautiful that stadium looks on DIP. I just know it brings a lot of excitement, knowing that you're having high, brand new high school stadiums to where these teams can walk out of their own classrooms to a brand new facility also. I tell you, I, I wish it was there when I was the head coach. I know that, uh, you know, with uh, as an OC at Viger, as a player at Viger, uh, there, there was an allure back then of, of it was tough to go into Percher Stadium. Uh, it was a tough place to go into and, and win. Um, but but now Viger getting one on campus, man, you get to walk out of that locker room. And I could just remember as a player all the different uh, chants that we used to do back that goes back in time into to the 80s. Uh, 913VHS on, on uh, 913 Wilson Avenue there. And the pride that you're going to have as a player to defend home now is just a little bit different. And for, for BC Rain over there on DIP, uh, Jameer Park, the, the great tradition that it's had there. Uh, but, man, what, a, what an awesome feeling for, for those Red Raiders over there to have a place to call home now. And, and I've seen pictures. I haven't seen either one of them in person. But, man, those places look great. Uh, I think the, 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 the school system did a phenomenal job um, of, of, of architecting those, those stadiums there. Coach, and I even mean, going back, you know, Dad was the head coach at Davidson yes. for six years. Yes. And that program, getting an on-campus stadium now. So uh, I have a little connection to almost each one of the schools are getting their own stadium. Well, I, I tell you, and that's why I love the fact that your roots are right here in Mobile, Alabama. You know what it means to be a part of the great tradition and the great athletes that come here from the Mobile, Baldwin County area and what Friday night lights are like here in this area. But your, your, your journey has been one that's taken you from a student assistant at Bethel, Tennessee, to the offensive coordinator at Viger, to to BC Rain head coach, to an analyst at Auburn. Then you go from Arkansas Tech to Bethel. You even had a chance to, to play for and to coach with the Mad Hatter at Kansas. And then you go from Middle Tennessee to Florida Atlantic. Coach, I know the journeys that you've had are setting you up for this ultimate success here at North Alabama. And I couldn't be happier or prouder of you and what you've been able to accomplish. Your dad, he, he's second to none in his name at Viagra High School. He and Coach Clark and Coach Pirine, those three coaches will always go down at Viger as those who are leaders amongst young men and, and giving them an opportunity to succeed as a, as a father figure. And I know you're a father figure to many others now as the head coach at North Alabama also. Hey, I'll tell you what, you, you read all those schools, you'd think I was uh, getting close to retirement after all those schools, but, <laughs> but only in my late 30s. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but here, because I want to put roots in the ground, I mean, you said I'm an Alabama guy, and uh, an opportunity to lead a, a historic program back into um, a, an era of winning football again, uh, man, it's, it's, it's a privilege. And you calling out Harold Clark and uh, my dad, and, and so many others, uh, James P. Ryan, Ed East, uh, so many others that, that I ran that sideline as a, a six-year-old ball boy that I got to 
look to as father figures in my life. And uh, just us as coaches, we get an opportunity every day to be be a, a parent or a father to so many people, and, and we don't take that lightly. Well, I, I tell you, your brother didn't take lightly winning him a state championship a year ago, and he added to that ring collection. He'll have a little bragging rights, and he, he definitely wants to see brothers succeed there at North Alabama, and I know you will, Coach. And, and I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule as the head coach at North Alabama to join us here on the final drive on WNSP and talk about the great things that North Alabama has and look forward to seeing you and your staff on the sidelines here pretty soon recruiting all these wonderful athletes. Uh, we'll be down there and, and you got to make sure every time you talk to anybody at Saraland where my brother's at and all those kids that, that won that championship were all sophomores so they got a little bit of pressure they better get two more or uh, I'm going to be the one that's starting all the, the rumors. I love it. I love oh, it. A little they do a great job over there. Yeah, they do. They do a phenomenal job, and your brother second to none there. And, again, they get it from a winner in your dad and Coach Dearman and his success at Viger. And, again, will be documented, and, and it's very historical as Viger makes that move over to their new stadium. And, Coach, thank you again for taking time to join us on the final drive, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, Corey. Coach Brent Deerman, head football coach at North Alabama, joining us here on the final drive. And again, our next segment, what day is it? You have to find out what day it is. Is it a national holiday? Is it just one of those days to where it's a donut day? It's an ice cream day. It's a strawberry pie day. We'll find out next on what day is it here on the final drive. Hey, this is Buckets Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Monday afternoon. Want to thank everyone for tuning in and giving us a call here at 251-694-105.5. You can always tune in to the app as well. And joining us today, John Rachetti, Zach Blackerby, and the head football coach at North Alabama, Brent Deerman, joining us and scheduled to join us tomorrow. Tony Sakalis normally joins us on today. But so much late breaking news coming out of Tuscaloosa with Nate Oates basketball sign in the portal. And, of course, the new baseball coach, Rob Vaughn, Tony, will have to join us tomorrow. Chris Gordy scheduled to join us along with the upcoming freshman phenom. Excited he was about an that eighth one. grader last year, winning the state championship at, at Thompson. Trent Seaburn joining us tomorrow on the final drive. And. Of course, Michael, you already know when you look at the calendar, we have to know. What day is it, Mike? Listen, guess what today is? <laughs> what day is it? What day is it? Of course, today being Monday, June 12th, what better day to celebrate National Peanut Butter Cookie Day? National Peanut Ooh. Butter Cookie Day is today, so make sure that you have your peanut butter cookies on deck. 
If you need to put them on 350 and let them warm up a little bit in the stove, do so, Michael Bronner. Uh, I'm a big peanut butter cookie guy. Is it what is that? What's your favorite? It's like just a chocolate it's chip. Got, it's got to be <laughs> the traditional like chocolate I, chip. It's not even a a point. I'm even gonna waste time arguing with you. Like you know, I love a chocolate chip. It depends on the day. Like I can have a good peanut butter pe- peanut butter chip, like from Insomnia. Mm. Mm. National like, peanut cookie. butter cookie day, and, and it's also National Red Rose Day. How sweet! And here's something that. I don't know if he's your favorite character or not, but it's Superman Day. Join us as we celebrate and learn all about everyone's favorite Kryptonian. Superman Day is June the 12th. Also, you have one of those that's pretty interesting to me. You have Raggedy Ann and Andy Day. Have you ever heard of Raggedy Ann and Andy? Have you ever seen Raggedy Ann and Andy? I, I truly have no idea the words you are saying to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Raggedy Ann and Andy for all my old schools I've, out there. I've never heard those words put together. All right, in so a this is se- what I want you to do, Mike. When you get off uh, off the air with me today, and you finish with John Rachetti's golf. All right, show, I'm looking at the doll right yes, now. Yes, I want you. I, I wanted you to text your mom and dad and ask them about Raggedy Ann and Andy. Ask them, did they ever have a Raggedy Ann and Andy? <laughs> Today is National Raggedy Ann. My mom and, and dad Andy. are older than you are. I bet. I bet they they know about Raggedy Ann and Andy. Abso- so absolutely, National Jeez. Jerky Day. Do you like jerky? Not not really. Do you? Uh, I, don't, I don't mess around with that. Yeah. Jerky. Snap uh, into a Slim Jim. I will pass on yeah. National kind of jerky. Kinda not day. not a fan of jerky. Now now, did you know that there was such thing as National Button Better Battery Awareness Day? Button. Battery awareness? Yeah. I, again, I don't. Wh- wh- and, why and are those words together? This is a good purpose. National Button Battery Awareness Day remembers Baby Reese, who died from swallowing a button battery. So it's something huh. that's so small that the baby choked on it and passed away. So well, there's Button Battery Awareness Day. I, I, now I'm, a, I'm aware now. So that. Sad and uh, yeah, I won't make it. Won't make a joke there. That's here we go with National Loving Day. Honor, so to go with National Red Roses Day, you have National Loving Day. We How celebrate sweet. love in Supreme Court's 1967 decision to strike down laws banning interracial marriages. Very nice. So National Loving Day, eat Flexitarian Day, Michael Bronner. You like? Are you a flexitarian? I don't know what that word means. That encourages eating mostly plant-based foods. I am not. While a allowing meat and other animal products in moderation. I'm on that carnivore diet. I might go home and cook a steak to protest flexitarian day. Eat flexitarian day. So that that is what we're celebrating. How can it be here? jerky day and flexitarian day at the same time? <sighs> That's a great point. I guess it depends on which one you decide to take part in. You know? I don't I'm not gonna take part in either, but you know, seems a bit contradictory there. Well, I, I will say this. What's not contradictory is the fact that we've had a great final drive today. Alabama baseball does have a brand new baseball coach, Rob Vaughn, coming over for Maryland. He will take over the helm as the head baseball coach at Alabama. Of course, Alabama losing 22-5 to yesterday, nine home runs giving up. Someone put two touchdowns and a field goal in the app. Yeah, that <laughs> really puts it in perspective. Hey, hey, look, they were launching them. 
yesterday. They hit nine home runs. So. Well, I mean, you know, on day one, you lose five to four. And then you turn around and yeah, very respectable. And then you turn around and you get spanked twenty-two to five, but a phenomenal baseball season by the Alabama Crimson Tide. We saw a seventy-two foot putt on yesterday. Mm. That was pretty impressive for Eagle too, by the way. For Eagle in a in a playoff hole, fourth hole of a playoff, and that's what it's all about. And of course, we did kind of get laugh a little bit about John Sterling getting hit by that foul ball and just saying and keep it going at 84 years old. And, of course, Hadwin, Adam Hadwin gets tackled by the security guard. And tonight we have game five of the NBA Finals. Denver is going to try to close it out tonight. And no, 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 four no. Games they to are going to close it out Michael tonight. Bronner, it's the Michael Bronner guarantee. So we'll see how that goes. And, again, we want to thank everyone for tuning in to the final drive. Don't forget, coming up next, Miller Lite, John Rochetti Golf Show, and tomorrow we'll be right back at you at 3 o'clock for the final drive.